Amen. Good morning. My name is Ethan Fordham. I serve as one of the elders here, so grateful to have each and every one of you uh, with us this morning and everyone joining us on, on the live stream uh, as well. If, if you are a young child, please proceed to the back uh, and go down to uh, Renovation Kids this morning, trusting uh, the Lord's Word in your life uh, this morning. It's hard to trust when you're afraid, right? Just a quick story. This, this past summer, which stinks to even think that way, that summer has passed, uh, Gabby and I, my wife and I, had the opportunity to go to Utah. Uh, and in Utah, we went to the Arches uh, National Park, which is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And we decided in this trip that we were going to go to the Delicate Arch, right? That's the picture of the Delicate Arch there. If you could see the absolutely massive size of this thing, those are people under it. Absolutely incredible. And it's a pretty hard trek getting there. I remember my wife and I saw in the distance, we were like, are those people walking up that mountain? Like, we're like a mile away. Are those people are we sure we want to do this? Well, we decided we're going to stick to it. We're going to do it. And so we, we get up that mountain, right? We, which is only two-thirds of the way there. And then we get through that last little part of the, that third, that last third. And we're doing, you know, we're tired. We're like, oh, okay. All right, okay. We're almost out of water, which is bad because it's like 105 um, and we're doing, we're doing fine. We're almost there. We're almost to the delicate arch. One of the most beautiful things in like a, th that we've ever seen in our whole life. And we're doing fine until we get to a certain point. We get to this point where you are literally just maybe 50 yards away. But you have to take and you have to wrap around this cliffside on a five-foot-wide path. And the other side is just down. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a drop. And what's even crazier is in the distance are just these absolutely beautiful and massive cliff, cliff sides. So when you look in the distance, it's like staring into a picture, like a painting. It's like not even real. And it's in this moment, when I took and I stepped up to that, I uh, assessed my situation, and fear just washed over me, over my entire person. I've never been so scared in my whole life. Every single instinct which was represented by every single nerve ending in my body, was just screaming at me, no, don't do it! <laughs> just don't. Just turn. It's much safer if you go back. I was so scared. But you know what? We decided we were going. We're doing this. We're going. So uh, the cliffside, cliff edge, right? I literally, this whole time, I take and I lean my entire body weight up against this, and I'm walking the whole way like this. And as people are coming by, I stop, I look at them, and I'm like, I can go around you. I'd much prefer it if you went around me. 
I don't want to leave this edge. Right? We eventually get to the arch, and it's magnificent. If I could just I, like, lift up my face, look at it, put my head back down, it's beautiful. And, and my wife, this whole time, is incredible. Fearless, no doubting, just, she's, you're going to be okay. We can do this. We're doing this together. We're going. We can do this. I'm like, I'm like okay. And she's just like, come on. Like, it, it's okay. People are going around us. They're just like walking next to this edge, right? <laughs> but in this moment, I really have to confess, I simply doubted my wife's ability and my wife's word that everything was going to be okay. I, I love my wife, <laughs> but in this moment, her presence did not help my fear because I knew that she was just as powerless as I was in this situation. Whether it's, it's heights, right, or small things like spiders or tight spaces, it's hard to look beyond the fear when you're afraid. Because when we're afraid, we're also vulnerable. So in addition to being afraid, it's hard to trust someone else because we're exposed to all of our vulnerabilities when we're terrified, when we're afraid. Right, we live in a world full of frightening circumstances, as has always been, but especially on our, the forefront of our minds over the last 20 months right, with COVID and, and politics and all of that, like, there are people who tell us, you should trust us, but if we confess, we have a hard time trusting them. We have a hard time trusting that they're actually doing anything with this frightening circumstance. Some of us have difficult relationships that expose our fear, and it's hard because the one person you're supposed to trust in that relationship is, is the person that you're afraid of, their response to you. Or maybe we're just simply fearful of, of, of change, right? Like, we don't trust anyone to, like, rock the boat, to come in and change our life at all. When we're afraid, it's hard to trust. And often, I think, just leaves us asking some questions. For us to consider this morning, I want to know, are, are you afraid in this world? And are you afraid without anyone to trust? It's with this in mind that we come to our word this morning because Jesus wants to calm that fear. So please open up to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 uh, through 36. Uh, it'll be on the screen. Open up your Bibles. Like Maisie said earlier, there are Bibles in the back if you need one. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 36. This is the word of God. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when, he, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick, and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord and all of Christ's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, open our eyes this morning and apply this word to our heart, to the glory of God our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. So in our previous passage, right, if you were here last week, or if you even just know the context, Jesus satisfies the hunger of more than 5,000 people, potentially seven, eight, you know, men not counting women and children. Miraculously, he did this by taking five loaves and two fish, and he just fed all of these people. But here we get to after that, right? Dinner is done. So you got to wonder, at this point, the disciples are like, whoa, like, Jesus, man, what's next? Like, this is crazy. Like, you just fed all of these people. Like, Jesus, what, what's next? What could you possibly do next? Well, Jesus says, it's time to go. Or rather, you got to go. <laughs> disciples, you've got to get out of here. This is what it means when it says that immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. He actually forced the disciples to leave. You gotta get out of here. But what was Jesus gonna do? What is Jesus doing in this situation that he's sending the disciples away? Well, we read in verse 23. And after he had dismissed the disciples, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. In all of Christ's ministry, he made time for prayer. And this was a hard time, too, right? He needed rest in our previous passage, but he didn't get it because he was met with thousands of people, thousands of needy people who needed him. But now that he sent this crowd away, he's going to go get that rest. He's going to go pray by himself. But this leads to a series of events. It leads to an uncomfortable separation. We read, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. 
Right? So Jesus is alone on this mountain praying, and the disciples are out at sea, a long way off. Right? Not a little way off, a long way off. They were potentially several football fields away from the land. And now this is, this is the Sea of Galilee, which is subject to sudden and severe storms because of the way, because of the, way the, the wind takes and it crests over the hills around it, and then over the sea, it clashes. So it causes these sudden and severe storms. So that's where they are. The, the, the wind is blowing. The, the, the waves are crashing against their boat. It's late at night. This is a frightening situation. And what doesn't help is Jesus isn't even there. Right? This isn't like in Matthew 8, where they could just go to the ship and be like, Jesus, hey, can you help us please? Right? Jesus isn't even there. All help seems impossible in this situation. Does life seem that way to you sometimes? Like you're stuck in an impossible situation as the disasters of life just rage around you. You go home at night, you think, what am I going to do? What's Jesus going to do? At this rate, the disciples' only hope is to just force their way, tough it out, and make it to the other side, meet Jesus at the rendezvous. But Jesus has other plans. It says that at the fourth watch of the night, which is anywhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that Jesus went to them walking on water. Now, the average depth of the Sea of Galilee is 84 feet. <laughs> it's 84 feet. And they're in the middle of a storm. Right? Jesus isn't just like a good swimmer, right? Like he's just kind of, he's done a breaststroke out there, right? Or like he's done the butterfly, right? And he's out, no, he's walking on the water. And this isn't like a sandbar, right? No, he's walking on the water. The water has become solid underneath of Jesus' feet. This is an extraordinary situation, right? This is crazy. And the disciples take notice too. They're out there. They're alone during this storm. They've been making headway all night long. It's an ungodly hour. Who better to greet them than Jesus, right? Well, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Have you ever been home at night, like alone, and you feel like a little unsettled, right? You're walking around. You see something out of the corner of your eye. You get startled. You go, oh, it's a ghost. But it's just like a towel or whatever. <laughs> like, it's nothing, right? Like, you still get startled. It's just kind of like what the disciples are doing, except they're looking at Jesus, and they're saying, it's a ghost. What, in the, what is happening here? You'd think they'd be happy to see him. But instead, they're superstitiously terrified. 
Calvin comically says to this point that when they were urged by strong necessity to desire the presence of their master, it showed very extraordinary stupidity to be alarmed at his appearance as if he had been a ghost. They were so blinded by fear that they could not recognize him. They couldn't see him for who he was. But in their weakness, Jesus comes to reveal something extraordinary about himself. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Right? Imagine if you, someone in your life, if you have a child, you unintentionally scare them. The first thing you want to do is calm their fear. Hey, hey, it's okay, don't worry, it's just me. Right? Your identity, who you are, matters the most to your child. When you, when you scare them, unless you do it unintentionally or unintentionally. Um, but who you are matters. Your identity matters to your children. So who does Jesus say he is in this moment? He wants to calm their fear. But we can't take what he says as simply like, hey guys, don't worry, it's just me, Jesus. Like, or like, whoa guys, chill. Oof. When Jesus says, it is I, he's identifying himself in a totally unique way. Leon Morris, in his commentary, states that Jesus is employing the emphatic pronoun commonly used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where God is the speaker. Names in the Bible reveal a lot. When Moses encountered God in the burning bush, Right? He asked God, who, who do I say sends me? When I go to the Israelites, who do I say you are? He says, I am who I am. Say, I am sent me to you. The name Yahweh, I am. God's covenant name, his special name. This is who Jesus is identifying himself as. Jesus is identifying himself as the one true God, as Yahweh. When it says, it is I, when he says, right, take, take heart, don't be afraid, it is I, say, take heart, I am. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Take heart, I am. Don't be afraid. How does Jesus walk on this water, right? Who is this that comes out to soothe the fear of the disciples in this moment? It's no one other than the one true and living God. Jesus is Yahweh. And he has come out to reveal himself to the disciples and he reveals his divine nature to them. More still, Jesus identifies himself as Yahweh with them. With them. Take heart, I am do not be afraid. He has come out to them. The waves are crashing around them, right? It's dark. It's scary. They think they see a ghost. But Jesus goes out to reveal his person and his presence with them in the storm. Jesus walked on the water 
to be with them in the most frightening circumstances. And he reveal himself as the one true God, powerfully present with them. Brothers and sisters, I do not know what your circumstances you're in this morning. I don't know what you're afraid of this morning. We live in a frightening world. A lot of us are fearful of job loss right now. Right? Maybe we're fearful of illness. There are very many things to be reasonably fearful of in life. I mean, even think globally, just Christians in the world, the things that they're afraid of. Our brothers and our sisters in Afghanistan who are living under Taliban rule right now, potentially underground, fearful for their lives. Or Christ's people in India who live with the threat of persecution from radical Hinduism, fearful for their lives. I couldn't help this week but think about early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China. Just a month ago, or two months ago, on August 22nd, one of their small groups was raided by the police, and every single one of them was arrested. And their, their pastor, Pastor Wang Yi, has been in prison since December 18th of 2018 without any contact with anyone. They have something to be fearful of. Friends, Christ's people have been and always will be in frightening circumstances. But the person of Christ has been and always will be present with his people. We face fears in this life, many. But let this fact assure you this morning. When you are afraid, the person of Jesus Christ is present with you. He's present with you. Now that should be an all-consuming, all-encompassing fact that comforts us without hindrance. But the reality is, is in even our own passage, the storm is still raging, and the storm in our own lives are still raging. The hard circumstances continue. And in this Our Lord Jesus Christ does teach his disciples that with his presence comes his power. Let's continue reading. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter, the stalwart disciple, always the first to speak up, always the first among the rest of the disciples. Peter calls out to Jesus, right? Lord, if it is you. Now, that shouldn't be taken as like a doubtful, like, Jesus, if it is you, if it is you, like prove yourself. Rather, 
Peter's being overly confident. Lord, I know it's you, so call me out onto the water so that I can come to you. He's just being like really courageous right now and overly confident. So Jesus says to him, come. And Peter goes to him, walking on the water also. And this shows us that Christ's divine power is not limited only to himself. It is within Christ's power to make the water hold himself up as well as Peter. Right? And this is serious confidence in Peter's part, right? But I think we shouldn't be confused, right? It's not Peter's confidence that's making him stand on the water right now. It's not like Jesus is just willing it, like, yes, I could do it, just don't get distracted, right? It's good that Peter is confident. We should all have serious confidence in Christ and his power. Whatever frightening circumstances you're in, confidently trust in Christ's power to sustain and uphold you. And we can trust that Christ is capable of doing much when we trust him. Amen? Amen yeah. However, as strong as Peter's faith is right now, and as strong as our faith can be in difficult times, we also need to reckon with our weakness. Jesus does this to show him his weakness. We read, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Right? It seems odd to us. Right? At this point, it seems kind of odd. Right? Peter's always al already doing something that's impossible. So, like, what's he afraid of? <laughs> right? Like, doesn't, doesn't he know better at this point? You figured once he gets out of the water, he would just know better? In this instance, Christ exposes Peter's weakness. That his faith, his confidence, is not as strong as maybe he thought originally as Peter thought. And indeed, he exposes our weakness in this life in order to expose us to our need. Peter cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. This is an appropriate response to the circumstances. All right, Peter's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by this storm. So he cries out to the one he knows that can save him. Jesus, we read, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter's weakness in this moment was doubt driven by circumstance. He allowed the raging storm to pull his trust away from him the one who put him on the water. But the one who has the power to cause Peter to walk on the water is the one who has the power to lift Peter out of the water. Brothers and sisters, we are no better than Peter. We are no better than Peter. We're often in this life, right, like living confidently, triumphantly in Jesus and then, bam, a whole whirlwind of circumstances surround us. And all of a sudden, we're 
Our eyes are off, off of Christ. We're fearful again, frightened, consumed by fear. It's in these moments that Christ exposes us to our weak faith. But he does this in order to show his care and his power over us. Friends, the greatest act of Jesus' power and care over his people is his work to save us from our sin. If you're here and you're a Christian today, you weren't just sinking in your sin, you were sunk. Sunk, dead in sin. But the powerful hand of Christ reached down to you and saved you from your sin. So every day now, as people in Christ, as people often overwhelmed with fear, we're crying out in faith, Lord, save me. Every day, always. I was just reading the Psalms recently. David, continuously, he says it over and over and over and over again. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Throughout his whole life, save me from my sins. Save me from my enemies. As people of faith, we every day, even when we're afraid, come to Jesus crying to him, Lord, save me. And every day we find him faithful, pulling us up and sustaining us every step of the way. If you're here today, you do not know the saving power of Christ. One day, the good and just storm of God's wrath will come crashing down on sin. Because God is good, because God is just, he must punish sin. But the good news is Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. If you come to him and you know him, you believe him, you trust him, if you come to him in faith, Jesus can save you. In fact, if you come to him, you will find him ready, able, and willing with outstretched hand to save you from your sin. Jesus is faithful. He is sovereign to save us. Friends, we are often consumed with fear and doubt because the circumstances around us are frightening. But Jesus is always lifting us up, always caring for us. He is able and willing to uphold us through fear and doubt. No matter what the nature of the fear is, always willing to uphold us through our fear and our doubt. Praise God. We could not do it on our own. We need Christ. This is good news. We are always in need of Christ. When you are afraid, you can trust Jesus because he is perfectly powerful to save you. Friends, what is, what is our reasonable response to one such as this? We read, and when they got back into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God.
Who is this powerful person? Who is he who walks on the water? Who lifts Peter out of the water? To whom Peter cries, Lord, save me. Earlier, right, Jesus identifies himself as Yahweh, as the one true God. But here, his disciples worship him, which is rightful. Jesus is the one, the only one to be worshipped. Or God is the only one to be worshipped. But they call him the Son of God. Friends, this is, the disciples probably don't totally know everything that they're saying, but they apprehend him in a fuller way than they did at the beginning. But what we see here is a very small and simple and wonderful revelation of the doctrine of the Trinity. That Jesus identifies himself as Yahweh, and then he is identified as the Son of God. That he is one with the Father. One in divinity, but distinct in his beautiful person. That Jesus is God, equal with the Father. And he is worthy of worship. Amen? This is a reasonable response to the one who is Yahweh and the one who is powerful to save his people. To worship the one true and living God. And in this moment, it's Jesus. We see Jesus, the one who saves, the one worthy of worship. Brothers and sisters, every single week, no matter what's going on in your life, we come as frightened people. And we come to worship Jesus because he has saved us from our sin, because he's sustaining us every step of the way. And in word, And in sacrament, Christ does speak to us. He does satisfy us. He does give us strength to continue when we leave this place. Oh, gosh, I love, like, the benediction, right? The benediction at the end of the service isn't just, like, a goodbye, right? It's Christ giving you his blessing when you leave this place to sustain you, to give you strength on your way out. It's this Jesus that we come to worship. It's this Jesus who sustains us. Jesus Christ, who's always lifting us out of our sin, out of our fear. This Jesus, worthy of worship. Friends, he's worthy of our worship. And he alone can do something with your fear. Amen? Amen. Finally, we read, And when they had crossed over, they came to to the land at Gennesaret, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that he, that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Um, We cannot spend that much time on this passage. And I trust that if you are an MC, uh, in an MC, that you'll cover these verses more fully but I think there's something to recognize here, quite literally. It's that in the beginning of this passage, the disciples had a hard time recognizing Jesus, right? They didn't recognize him out on the water. When he comes into the boat, they recognize him. They apprehend him in a fuller way. Truly, truly you are the Son of God. And here, they come to the land. What happens? The people, they recognize him. And very minimally, they recognize him as someone who can help them. And Jesus does help them. Amen? Amen. 
Friends, you're going to walk away with one thing this morning. It's this. When you are afraid, trust Jesus, the Son of God, because he is perfectly present to save you. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we do come to you and confess our total and complete need in our frightening circumstance. God, forgive us when we doubt. Forgive us when we are unnecessarily afraid. But, oh God, also comfort us because we are, we are afraid. Give us your peace, Christ, that we might love you and glorify you until you return. And in that place where there will be no fear, where fear will cease, where pain and sorrow will cease, and we will live and worship you for eternity. God, be glorified. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.